while the world is quick to tell you all that it's against, Uptown Church wants you to know we're for. We're for doing what's right and fixing what's wrong. We're for lifting up prayers and breaking down barriers. We're for the brightest, boldest, loneliest, finest, and most flawed among us. And most importantly, we're for you. Uptown Church. In the city. For the city. Good morning. How are you today? Um, it is so good to see you, as Elizabeth said, and to worship together as we come off of spring break week. Um, has anybody felt like, what day is it today and where am I after a week of spring break? You know, we had to convince our kids, like, jeans are things that you wear out in public, not just your pajamas. So we are resetting um, this weekend, and it's good to be here. Um, as we continue in our Walking with Jesus series, I thought about this moment from high school. And if you would have met me in high school, probably the one word you would have used to describe me, and most people did, was dramatic. Um, I was real dramatic, like so dramatic, the drama teacher asked me to audition for plays and be in drama club. Apparently I had a little extra something that they kind of needed. But I, I was a dramatic adolescent. And I remember this one time that my dad was traveling for work. He had been gone for a few weeks. He was out of the country doing some ministry work. So he was just far away and unavailable. And so my dear mother, who is actually here today, so she can verify this story, um, she was holding down the fort with three teenage girls. And it was just drama, trauma the entire time. And there was this one night a few weeks in that she just looked at one of my sisters and I and just said, okay, girls, girls, come on. I'm going to go upstairs and, and rest. And I need y'all to just keep it together and stay quiet, you know, and just, just chill for one night. And so with every good intention, we both said, yes, ma'am, you got it. Um, and so my sweet sister, she got on her desk, she sat at her desk, and she opened up her Bible. Um, I'm a pastor, I don't know why I'm making fun of that, but she, um, and why that's funny, but she opened her Bible, and I think she really took that seriously, like, okay, I'm going to go to Jesus. And so she started reading her Bible, and it was just real quiet and pious. I, on the other hand, I walked into the bathroom. I was going to clean up for bed, brush my teeth, wash my face. And within seconds, I came running out of the door with my hair on fire, literally on fire. That's not figurative, like flames coming off of my head. See, I had leaned down to wash my face and didn't see that there was a candle on the vanity. And so all the hair product that, you know, a young adolescent might put in their hair lit on fire. And so I'm running out screaming, my poor sister's screaming, and my mom comes running downstairs. And we obviously did not do anything that was quiet and less dramatic that night. Um, so now I want to tell you the three ways you can like stir up fire in your life for Jesus. Okay, no, no, no. That's not this sermon, okay? But I thought of that story when I went to Luke's gospel this week, because there is this story that Luke tells. He's a follower of Jesus from the first century, and he tells a story about two sisters, one of them pious, 
devotional, quiet, you know, the one who gets out her Bible when her mom says to not be dramatic. And then the other one, a little bit more of a dramatic, chaotic kind of mess, like me. And this story is not about anyone's hair on fire, but it has that sort of energy because the story in the middle of it explodes between these two sisters and Jesus is caught in the middle. But what happens in this story is incredibly fascinating. It's kind of one of those stories that at first read, you're like, why would someone put this in the Bible? Like, why do we need to know this information about these two sisters and the squabble they seem to have? But what's so cool is that when you look at who Luke is as a follower of Jesus, he, he's unlike the other people who write accounts of Jesus's life. See, there were four men who wrote accounts of Jesus's life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But Matthew and Mark and John, they had all been direct followers of Jesus, meaning they were a part of Jesus's inner core disciples. They walked with him. They followed him. They were close to him. Luke, on the other hand, he's more like us. He was a second generation Christian. So when he comes to the Jesus story, when he comes to trusting in Jesus, it's through the witness and testimony and stories of other people. And I love what he says about this account that he's gonna give as somebody who really has taken the journey you and I take today. We are banking on, we are relying on the stories and witness and testimony of others. And so he writes this story, he writes his whole account to you and I, saying, this is where I have come. I hope you will come with me and learn and discover and believe what I have come to believe about Jesus. We know this because he kind of opens his book and he says that this book is written to the great Theophilus. And, and that's not a proper name of somebody. Theophilus actually means in Greek, it means to the God lovers or the God fearers. So he's writing to you and I, and he's telling us, he's saying, this is what I'm giving you in my account of Jesus's life, of what it looked like for me to follow Jesus. I'm giving you an orderly account. And by orderly, he's not meaning I'm giving you a chronological timeline of everything that happened in Jesus's life. What he's trying to tell you is I am giving you a carefully chosen group and grouping of stories that show you, that showed me who Jesus was and what Jesus was all about. And so it's in that context that Luke gives us this story about these sisters. And it goes like this. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a certain village where a certain woman named Martha opened her home to him. Maybe you've heard this story. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all of the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. You gotta love this. She literally interrupts Jesus, who is at the time is teaching to a group of people to like get on to her sister. That's some bold energy. 
that's like you as a teenager walking into your parents and like, she wrecked the car, did you see? Like it's, it's that. And you're like, what is she doing? Because it's so kind of out of the scope of ordinary that the people first hearing it and even us hearing it are like, no, she didn't do that. Sure, surely she has more class than that. But she interrupts and says, don't you care? My sister has left me to do all of the work by myself. And Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. And indeed, only one. And Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Jesus comes to this prominent woman, Martha's household. He and his whole team are going to minister in this area, and they come to her house. She's preparing everything, and then she has her drama trauma moment. She is overwhelmed. She is stressed, and she thinks she's right. She thinks, yeah, I'm calling my sister to come help me, and every older sister says, yep, amen, Martha, and then Jesus says, Martha, no, 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 no. You have missed the point. No, 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 Martha, you are concerned, you're distracted, you're anxious about many, many things, but you have missed the main thing. You have missed the main point of things. Now, you and I, we hear that story and we kind of pick up that same refrain from Jesus often. Martha, 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 you just, when are you going to learn, Martha? Come on. You know, we kind of pick up on that chiding a little bit and judge her. At least I do when I read the story. I'm like, oh, Martha, come on. When are you going to learn, Martha? But before we, I think, correct Martha, before we kind of put her in that category of she has been foolish and unwise, I think it's really important to kind of step back and look at Martha. It's easy to say, Martha, Martha, get it together, Martha. But Martha is not some simple, foolish, unwise woman. When you look at who Martha is, Jesus wouldn't be at her house if that were the case. One thing we know about Martha is that she runs her entire household, that she owns property for a first century Palestinian woman. That would have been unheard of. There's no male husband or head of household mentioned. Martha is the leader. She owns the property. She runs the household. She is kind of a boss woman. She, she runs the show. When we look at the story further, it says that she's preparing, making preparations for Jesus. We kind of sometimes interpret that as she's like cooking a really great meal for Jesus, but that's, that's not it. The Greek word for preparations or making preparations is this word diakona, which is the word that the apostles used to talk about ministry and the service of discipleship. So we get this bigger picture of Martha that she's actually doing this really good work. What she's preparing for is for Jesus to set up the Jesus movement ministry base in her home. 
There's lots of preparations to be made, maybe press releases to get out there to show that Jesus is in town and he's ready to minister. She is on the ground floor of helping Jesus's ministry. This this story and the way Luke tells it, he even introduces Mary in relation to Martha. He says, Martha had a sister. So Martha, all that to say, Martha's a big deal. She's not some ditzy woman who just was oblivious to who she was sitting with. She wasn't just this foolish woman who just stumbled upon this incident and and being maybe dumb in a moment or having a lapse of, of memory and judgment. In fact, what I love about Martha is that she calls Jesus Lord. She calls him Lord even as she goes in to kind of embarrass herself and interrupt everything going on, she knows who Jesus is. Everybody else who talks to Jesus oftentimes in the gospels calls him rabbi or teacher. But those who know who he is, that he's the Messiah, that he's the one that God has sent, that he's the one that is fulfilling all of their longings and hope, the one to bring salvation, they call him Lord. And she does too. She knows who Jesus is. But Martha, for all of her goodness, for all of her aptitude, for all of her prominence, for all of the good she is even doing in this story, she has this moment. And I think it's similar to you and I in our life. The tension sometimes we find ourselves in. See, what does Jesus say to her again? He says, Martha, Martha, you have become distracted by many things. You have become worried. Other translations say you have become disturbed by many things, but there are only a few things that are required. He's pointing out not only Martha's struggle, and I think this is what Luke wants us to hone in on. He's pointing out our struggle, that you and I, oftentimes do the same thing Martha does. We struggle to maintain our focus. We struggle to focus on what matters most in our life. We we run up against our values and find tension. See, Martha, here she is, she's doing all of this good, but she's missed the point. If Jesus is her Lord, then why is she interrupting? Why is she getting worked up? Why is she getting anxious about many things? She's lost focus. And how many of us can relate to that? We can do that even in our day. You can go throughout a day, and how many of you have done this? You get to 5 p.m. or 5.30 or whenever you're calling it quits for the day, and you think, what have I done today? I think I've worked all day but I'm not sure I got the things done I was supposed to get done. In little and big ways, we lose focus in our lives. I love what a preacher, Andy Stanley says. He says, everybody ends up somewhere in their life, but very few people end up somewhere on purpose. We're all going somewhere. We're all going to end up at a point, but do we end up where we want to be? Do we end up even where God wants us to be? And the difference maker 
is, is the clarity and focus in which we live our lives. But as Martha points out, that's a struggle. That's hard for us. And I think that that is hard for us because of what Jesus brings up. You haven't known what things are important, Martha. You're doing good things. Jesus doesn't tell her, hey, Martha, you're a sinner. And nowhere in the story does Jesus classify her as doing bad things or a bad person. But he says, you just have miscalculated what is most important. She hasn't clarified, I think, her values. She hasn't clarified how she filters in her life the things that she does, the, the ways that she goes through a set of values. And it's the same for us. We all have some sort of values, whether we know it or not, because every decision that we make is based on something that we value. But how many of us end up at some point in our lives where we feel stressed like Martha? Where you think, how is this all going to work? Or how did I end up here? Or I don't know what to do next. And we feel overwhelmed and disturbed and anxious and feeling like either we're stuck or life is just happening at us so fast that we feel like we're missing it. And often for us that happens because we haven't taken the step back to look at what are our values? What are the values that, strive, that I strive for, that drive my life? Because we get them from somewhere. We either, we either choose them and determine what they are, and they're what gets us to where we want to go on purpose, or we take on values knowingly or unknowingly based on our families, what we learn, based on religious systems, if we grew up in a church, based on what culture tells us, maybe what our jobs and careers tell us. We, we have some set of values, whether visible and seen or unseen, that determines the decisions and the pathways we take. And in this moment, Martha runs up against hers and realizes, oh, I know what to do I know who Jesus is, but I'm not choosing that. There was a study actually done by Gallup a few years ago that looked at what is the number one stressor for Americans. And they looked at teenagers and adults. And in the study, what they found was that the number one stressor for people was misalignment in their values. The number one stressor. If you would ask me what's the number one stress for people in America, that's not what I would have said. And maybe not what you would have said either. I would have thought economic recession, inflation, you know, rising home costs, I mean, all sorts of things, rising grocery costs, war, um, widespread disease, and the fear of widespread disease, many things that seem like they would stress us out and keep us worried. But the number one thing driving people to feel stress is a misalignment in their values. And that's what Luke shows us with Martha, is that she has not clarified what her values are, and that causes stress for us. Because I think either our values cause us stress or our values lead to our success. But our values can only lead us to success when we have determined and evaluated what they are and we put measures in place to stay on value, to stay on 
on purpose. And what I love about this instance with Martha and with Jesus is she has this moment of crisis. And for how many of us, how many of us, that's the same point at which we begin to evaluate our values in life. Not when things are good, because if things are good, what's there to evaluate, right? But Martha hits a crisis and realizes things are not going as they're supposed to. And she's so overwhelmed. She's so stressed. She's so tired and she comes to Jesus and I love it that she says, don't you care? Jesus, don't you care? Because how many of us have asked that same question of Jesus? God, don't you care? I am so tired of this. Didn't I already deal with this? How did I get here, Jesus? Don't you care? Don't you care about my job and my career and how it's going? Don't you care about my kids? Don't you care about my body and my health? Don't you care about my relationships or my lack of relationships? God, don't you care? And Jesus, we sometimes say he corrects her and he, and he does. But he doesn't scold her. He's not, oh, Martha, you have lost sight of what matters in your life. Be gone. He doesn't dismiss her. He offers her grace. He offers her a way to get back on mission, back on value, back on purpose in her life. And he says, oh, Martha, Martha, this is why you're stressed. This is why you're overwhelmed. You have just gone and gone and gone and accepted life and taken it as it's come to you. And you haven't ever stopped and asked, is this where I want to go? Is this what God has for me? Is this truly the best? Or am I allowing the good in my life to be the enemy of the best God has for me? And he says, you can stop. You can stop. And maybe you need to hear that too. Maybe you feel like God's, you've said, God, don't you care? Don't you see? And you need to hear God say, yes, I see. And you don't have to stay on that rat race. You don't have to stay on that hamster wheel. You can stop, Martha. His correction is her salvation. Jesus intervening in that moment is the grace she needs that saves her story and maybe saves her life and saves us. And so Martha maybe is the unsung hero in the story from my vantage point. And I think that's why Luke tells us this story is because he knows we find ourselves in the same place. We struggle to focus. We struggle to keep the main thing, the main thing, to live our life in a way that we don't end up somewhere that we don't wanna be. And I would offer you a few things that, I, that can help us. 
I think we need to, if we're going to take Jesus' correction seriously in Martha's life and, and our life, then there's some things we have to do. One, we have to really evaluate what are our values. If you've never looked at your life and asked, what are the values that define me and who I am and what I do, how I spend my money, how I spend my time, who I associate with, we've got to take an inventory of what are our values. And I think if you've got your devotional guide with you, I would ask you to write down these four things, four questions you can ask yourself to determine what your values are or to evaluate the values that you know you have. Are they worthy values of your life? And the first one is this, who is the authority for your life? Who has the ultimate say on how your life goes? Is it God, the ways of God? Or is it your family system, your friends, culture, what you've seen? Is it keeping up in the corporate world? What is the authority in your life? Because ultimately the source of your values, the authority on your values determines the quality of your values. And then the second thing is what, what is going to last in your life? What is going to outlast you? Or another way to ask that is what is worthy of your life's investment? What are the things, the time that you believe that you put your time into that is worthy of your entire life because you get one, one precious life. What is worthy of your life? Three, asking yourself, am I opting in my life for what's convenient and easy? Or am I opting when I make choices for what is best? Because so often we know what is best for us, but then we sacrifice best on the altar of convenience day after day. Think about it. How many of us, we know, we know we're supposed to eat healthy and exercise, right? but we still sometimes cram the fast food down our face because it's convenient. So looking at and asking yourself, am I striving for easy? Do I settle for convenient? Or or am I going for what I know to be best to do? And then lastly, in determining or evaluating your values, asking the question, is the cost or the price of what I pay to hold on to this value and live it out, is it worth it? because everything that we do has a cost and a price. And is it worth the price that you pay? Every yes you say is a no to something else. Every no you say, every decision you make has a some sort of cost benefit. Is it worth the cost? So this story, it leads us, Luke leads us to say, what are your values? Evaluate them. Are they even good values? And then, Lastly, Jesus reminds us that your values only stay in line when you are willing to come back to Jesus and sit like Mary with Jesus. He reminds Martha that you've gotten so busy that you missed I'm right in front of you. The way we keep our values on track is we continue to keep bumping in to Jesus. We keep sitting with Jesus. We stop sometimes doing so that we can be with Jesus. 
because we will always give in and succumb to convention, to the values of others, to the things that matter to others or the world, unless we are being pulled constantly back to Jesus. So friends, what, what are your values? And are they leading you to follow Jesus more closely in success? Or are they leading you into this cycle of stress and pain and frustration? Thanks for listening today. Want to connect with Uptown Church? Visit uptownchurchdallas.org or follow us on Instagram. And be sure to join us on Sundays at 10 a.m. for in-person worship at House of Blues in Dallas. God is with you. God is for you. Go in peace.